0: Hello, and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Kate Wolf, and I'm alone today in the Zoom room. And you're going to listen to an interview that Medea Ocher and I did with the writer Renee Gladman about her latest book, Plans for Sentences. This is a kind of an experimental text. It incorporates drawings. It's a beautiful object in itself. And we talk a lot about how it came to be and what it is and what renee does to get in the mode to write something that is surprising and out there and untethered from normal conventional narratives and we're actually going to start this conversation by hearing her read some of this so enjoy and thanks for listening
1: Renee Gladman is a writer and an artist. She's the author of 14 books, including a cycle of novels about the city-state, Ravika, and its inhabitants, the Ravikians, the latest of which, Houses of Ravika, was published by Dorothy Project in 2017. She's also the author and artist of two collections of drawings, prose architectures, and one long black sentence, a series of white ink drawings on black paper. Her work has appeared in a number of different publications, The Paris Review, Gulf Coast, Granta, Harper's, Bomb Magazine, Eflux, and N Plus One. Her new book is called Plans for Sentences, and it was just released by Wave Books. Plans for Sentences is a collection of ink and watercolor drawings paired with texts, each duo labeled as a figure, making 60 figures in all. The drawings combine the loops and scribbles of words and some made-up letters with the lines of cityscapes and buildings. The text, meanwhile, outlines what the titular sentences of the book will do. Together, Gladman seems to create a new kind of architecture made up of a blend of words and images, solid and influx at the same time. The plans here are for the future. Renee Gladman, thank you so much for joining us.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having
0: me. Renee, maybe you could start by reading a section from the book.
2: Yeah, so these are, it's really important to make a a distinction between the plans for sentences, which are the drawings. These are descriptions for future sentences. And I will read figure 48. These sentences will be places of moss. These places will emerge from something thick inside something glowing and will light upon a series of dense clauses, a paragraph for the planet. These dense woods will hold the history of where we moss and where we blacken and will be the fog void, inverted and full. Figure 47, these sentences will emerge as sites built haphazardly upon a fog ground and will be winded They will have speed, and this will be what pleases, what funnels the valley to void. They will have gaps where they bridge and will figment. These places will perform gestures of welcome. They will drop where they glow and be enclosing. They will open where they fail. Figure 35. These places will glow and will void and stick like wet leaves at the window, partitioning thought, condensing the gas to grains. They will roll forward backward, will roll and contract breathing. They will antenna the opening. These sentences will be the breathing on the other side of the paragraph. They will open and roll and roll and go quiet backward over spent breath, graining the vapors. These sentences will arrive in a weather system. They will glow and pound the coast.
0: This book is so interesting and it almost like Mind expanding in the way of, I love this thing that you write in the acknowledgements, kind of about these sentences and how they correlate to the drawings, which is that the sentences are in the future, but the drawings, they are kind of in the present. Like they're the plans, they are the actual plans for the future sentences. Maybe just start by talking about that relationship, which already I'm like, huh, like thinking about. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's really slippery because the drawings existed first, and the actual initial title that I have for a few minutes was Plans for Cities, Plans for Cities, and I thought that wasn't really quite it, and I think probably five minutes later, I changed it to Plans for Sentences, and it existed as a sequence of drawings for a couple of years before I started to put text to it, and for a long time, I had been sort of wary of putting text next to drawings because I really wanted to avoid that relationship of, you know, like the illustration and then the thing that explains the illustration or the text and then the image sort of like is supposed to illustrate whatever it is that the text is trying to say in. But something clicked where I felt like this particular set of drawings needed language next to it. And so the plans were always the drawings. So then I had to figure out what the sentences were or would be. And I also felt that if the drawings are the plans for the sentences, then the sentences have to in some way talk back to the drawings, but they also have to be this other thing. And I feel like I can talk about what that is, but I also feel like it's a it's a sort of a shifting relationship. I would imagine that other people would have different readings of, of about what the sentences do for the drawing or in relation to the drawings. Um, but for me, I wanted to, to have like a, a language that was activating the drawings, but also being taught somehow by the drawings, how to move or how to make space for the future. So, I am looking at the drawings and I'm and I'm sort of pulling language out of what I'm seeing or want to see into a language space. And so they to me, they have that relationship where the in some ways the figures, the written written part is a way of is another kind of reenactment of what you're seeing uh, in the drawing. So they they have that kind of relationship. So they the 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 writing points back to the to the drawings, but also points forward to other sentences and other figures later on in the book or throughout the book.
1: Would you mind talking a little bit about how you began working on these kinds of drawings and the the sort of letter shapes and the sentence shapes that they take?
2: Yeah. So I usually cite the, the completing the third book in the Ravaka series, Pavlova Crosses the Bridge, as this really important moment. I have been drawing maybe like for seven years before that. Nothing like this, but I mean, kind of like city structures, but not with any kind of writing gesture in it. And the the way that I describe it is the Pavlova is a lot about, it's like a community of people who write books and who meet to talk about their books, and Ravika is kind of enduring a crisis that people don't really understand or don't know how to talk about, but they feel isolated. So these group of people gather so that they can, you know, feel community. And the the uh, Anna Potova, who's sort of narrating this novel, she talks. That she's a former architect, and she talks about architecture a lot, and wants to sort of make a kind of triangulation between architecture writing books but also maybe take books out put body in so there is it's a word that's being thrown around a lot in the in the text and when i finished the book i just felt like i hadn't done what i wanted to do in terms of the relationship between architecture and writing which is something that i have been thinking about for a long time so i i finished the book i wanted to keep writing but i was done with that particular like scope of that novel. And so I started these these drawings. And I after like one or two of them, this is prose architectures that I'm describing, I realized that I was in a way I was still writing. I had figured out a way that I could write without writing and it just sort of blew my mind and opened all these these doors in, in terms of ways of thinking about narrative and how narrative works and how the imagination works and how you can build worlds and and a way of doing that that is that's being enacted through the body as opposed to me writing a, a a narrative or a story about writing. I'm actually able to sort of enact it like perform it and experience it in a in a kind of presence present and that really blew my mind and sort of opened up this whole thing of around making these drawings like pushing these drawings that are a kind of writing toward structure. And so you'll see buildings emerge, or you'll see cities or other accidental things that, that I, I don't really intend. Bridges, I do intend bridges, ladders. And and these are all ways in which it's a way of type to create a visual picture, but it's also a way of thinking about writing and it's just like intensely like nervous system level that's been really amazing over the past years.
0: I I wanted to ask about this. It's, you know, it's, it occurred to me that in this way, the, the sentences are almost more abstracted than the drawings. Like that the drawings are almost like instantly recognizable as, you know, space, as, as cities, as buildings. But the sentences kind of don't they they seem to avoid being anything quite recognizable even if there's some some point where you say like these future sentences they will not know space you know so but it's like but yet they they're addressing buildings many times and I also think there's a way in which you know they're in the future but i but you know there's maybe like slight moments of utopianism here you know there's one point where you say that they will form a sanctuary for refusal you know where it's like it seems like okay that has a positive valence to me you know that that this will be a place to refuse but otherwise they really resist taking on too much weight and they and you know so they do so what is that what is that relationship to you between the obvious space of the drawings and the sentences that are also refusing the space or making, or invisible, or also like there's so much reference to invisibility
2: here. Yeah. Wow. So the, that's a really great question that has many answers. For me, the, so I think the the difficulty is the fact that these are so these are descriptions of future sentences. They're not the sentences themselves. Like they're not the future sentences, but they are descriptions of how those sentences will behave or the the kind of energy that they will have. So you know these sentences will glow, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think and and one way like one of the challenges is what what do you what kind of substance or content can you get out of something that's in, a, in essentially a placeholder, or at least like uh, a description of an anticipated space or an anticipated energy or anticipated movement? So I think in one way, I'm still trying to look or get uh, mechanically, closer to what writing is. So in a way that the, these sentences are describing sentences that they might be describing sentences that I would wish to write or that, that, that others might wish to write, like others might wish to write a sentence that humbles or that grains, you know? So in a way, I, I think that a lot of it has to do with not necessarily reading the individual words for, uh, content as much as energy or shape or a way to think about a place holding or shape making. On the other hand, it was, I really felt like these sentences were an opportunity to talk about, to try to put language to the drawings, but to do it in a way that, that felt like it wasn't telling you what the drawings were or what they were or what I wanted them to mean, but to to pick up action in the drawings. So there's a lot of, of language around things blackening, and for me, that that's literally on one hand where the where the ink kind of gathers and gets dark, or there's this you know there's a repeated notions of of graining or void, and that's you know describing like the blank space in the drawings or the the intense gathering and the drawings, there's looping, you know, so, and and I felt like by putting language to that sort of non-linguistic space of drawing that, that I was making these kind of bridges between these different, these two different intents behind making a drawing that wants to think about writing and writing language that wants to think about space and wants to think about structure. So it's like uh, it's all there and I'm hoping that people um, sort of want to make things out of what they're reading as opposed to sort of like find the one thing. And then the other thing I wanted to say is it also felt like this really abstract, and maybe I don't want to say abstract, maybe I'm, I'm more interested in energetic way of thinking about gathering, thinking about Blackness. I really wanted to work on this idea of how culturally we're so used to associating darkness and Blackness with negativity. So in a lot of different work I've been doing over the past five years, I've been trying to sort of reconstitute that term, or at least just sort of push it towards an idea of a, of a future where, where it holds possibilities and multiplicities. And so all of that for me is going on and, and the, and the repetition is a way of sort of like ingraining something that maybe it's more emotional than it is uh, literal in that sense.
1: Well, actually, I mean, in, in that way, do you mind talking about like what, what some of the emotional or affective sort of feelings you have around around this work what is that emotion yeah
2: I'm just looking at the text so there is a a lot of the editing that I did for the book I did after which horrible summer was that was that 2020 when George Floyd was murdered yeah yeah I was really interested in because also we were so we were still in lockdown which i pretty much still am and and yet people were were having to sort of activate and have to sort of reach their own safety in their own confines in order to to you know speak out against injustice in order to be visible in order to make people pay attention and i was really thinking about that like the the things being activated or th- uh gatherings. And and I really couldn't help but sort of feel that as I was moving through these pieces and wanting to think about how how to talk about like bodies in that space or talk about what, what the heart is doing, what the spirit is doing in those spaces. So I think that a part of that is is in here. And I think that a lot of it is always, I mean, I'm always writing about writing and it's a very kind of cavernous, cavernous endeavor for me in a sense of, of just really being interested in not just kind of producing worlds or producing experiences, but kind of always wanting to get inside of how do these, how do these things connect? And if they don't connect, what is that about? Mm. So, yeah. So I think a lot of it is, it's hard to isolate them, but I think it's, Is It's just this being, like, trying to be in this Black body in this time of being inside and outside and being Mm -hmm. afraid and and sometimes not afraid, and then wanting to be thinking all the time while that's happening.
0: I'm curious about what the link to you between, you know, the kind of refrain of invisibility and 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 futurity. How do you say that? Yeah, invisibility and future. Maturity. Yeah. If those if those link at all, I mean, because on the surface it seems like right, sometimes things are invisible and only later do they become seen. And if that's kind of or even you know, gathering things for later, uh, if that's if that's why the the kind of presence of the future is so important here.
2: Yeah, I mean I think. So first of all, I don't want to lose the thread, but the idea, so when I look, so when I make these drawings, when I look at them, they seem to me to be very much about process and about they're interested in ideas of incompletion, of, but also in a kind of a vision of a place or of a, of a space or a kind of text without trying to commit to what that text would be. And that's often I mean that's why it's illegible and it's you know etc. So at first I'm interested in uh, the relationship of time and potential to the drawing space and what happens when you when you leave a space open or when you when something feels incomplete or feels like it's in the middle of. So I was really interested in that idea and then the the writing i just feel like these things are so connected so to 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 think about something that's provisional or propositional it immediately sort of falls into the general questions i have around our you know articulation and and where we show up you know in our writing or in the sentences or in in the things that we're trying to say and so but I really like this idea that I guess you could, there is some utopian aspect about it that I would never say that I knew very much about utopias, but there is this feeling that what we have now is, is bereft is like kind of broken. If you just like try to take in the world around you, it's just, Ins- insanely disheartening and so there is there is a sense of the possibility of of writing and drawing towards future possibilities for the body for difference and so I I think I was really I found that this book allowed me the possibility of of writing about that and but I'll always sort of like bringing it back to this being a matter of language or being a matter of self-expression or, or description or experience. So I don't know, does that get at what you're asking? Totally,
0: yeah, I, I think I think it does. And, and, and just as a, almost even as a spiritual practice, you know, to add, not just trying to make a story, but actually trying to find a way to handle <laughs> the present, you know, by not, and not a specific, idea of the future but kind of
2: yeah i i was on a i was on a panel a couple of weeks ago on black feminist geographies and someone asked a question about what did me and the other panelists think about like what is a black uh, feminist temporality and that just sort of blew my mind because i didn't like i couldn't and i still can't figure out how to slow that idea down enough to be able to to talk about it in a presence, in a present, but it feels really important like that temporality is like stays attached to these kind of movements, movements of the line or movements of sentences and this idea of like a kind of a a hope or a kind of envisioning of, of, of places that are, beyond where we are and what we see and what we think we can be and know, et cetera. I really like the idea of, and I think that I have invisibility in here, but I really have been interested in ideas of, of the non-visible, which implies a more willing, like willfulness on the part of the thing that is not there. It's not rendered invisible, but it it is perhaps non-visible because of a kind of refusal, or is non-visible because the proper way of seeing hasn't yet, you know, been attached to that thing. So I, I really like that idea, and 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 also to think of the non-visible as a thing that's sort of sitting on the other side of a drawing or on the other side of a piece of writing.
0: You're listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We've been speaking with Renee Gladman about her latest book, Plans for Sentences. We'll return to that conversation in just a moment, but first we have this week's book recommendation. I have John Markoff on the line. John Markoff most recently is the author of Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stort Brand, and John is going to give us a book recommendation.
3: Okay, so that was hard, but I picked one. Okay, okay. <laughs> my, my book recommendation is a recent, well, 2020 um, science fiction novel by a man by the name of Kim Stanley Robinson. And the book is called Ministry of the Future. And, you know, I've, I've struggled with some of Stan's earlier work. He writes books that are sometimes hard to read um, and sometimes great. But I, I'm picking this one because I think it's an essential read for a couple of reasons. At the beginning, the first chapter is a first chapter to remember. He describes what's called a, a wet bulb heat wave that basically kills millions of people in India. It's an amazing first chapter. it's It's worth reading. Particularly because even though I thought that was kind of an abstract thing, you know, the, the summer after I read that, you know, it was 116 in Portland, Oregon, and it was 121 in Canada. And so all of a sudden it wasn't science fiction. It was I was reading what was going on. But then also the structure of the book is about um, the relationship between this guy who's sort of uh, a, an aspiring eco-terrorist because of, he was in, in the survived the wet bulb event. And the woman who's in charge of this organization started by some kind of international governance structure called the Ministry of the Future in an effort to deal with climate change. And it's about their interaction. And he proposes a set of ways of dealing with climate change. And Kim is a really smart guy. And I think he's raised some issues in the book, some some ideas in the book that need to be taken seriously by society. And that's why I wanted to recommend it.
0: What um, Are there any... Ideas that he proposes that really stuck out to you
3: as as something you think we should adopt? Yeah, the one that's captured uh, a lot of attention. You know, crypto is a huge fad. Um, Crypto is actually part of the problem for the environment because, um, you know, mining bitcoins takes so much of the world's energy. It's just crazy. But he proposes the idea, and it doesn't have to be that way. Potentially, there are other ways you can sort of structure these things so they don't use huge amounts of energy. But he proposes a a uh, cryptocurrency-like device called a carbon coin um, that can be used as an incentive and a metric to try to basically capture carbon on a global scale. And it's actually, you know, the amazing thing was, uh, Stan was invited to uh, COP26 as a, you know, as a sort of honored participant. And the, the idea is being taken seriously. And, the, and, you know, this is not a, a cryptocurrency. This would be a fiat currency. This would be the way governments would incentivize the population to to basically capture capture carbon and deal with that part of climate change.
0: Can you tell us the title of the book again and its author?
3: Yeah, it's uh, The Ministry of the Future, and it's written by Kim Stanley Robinson.
0: Thank you so much, John. Sure. That was John Markoff. His new book is called Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. You're listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We now return to our conversation with Renee Gladman, author of Plans for Sentences.
1: I wonder, in in that context, how you think about your more narrative work, and how it relates to to these ideas.
2: I think these ideas are born out of the more narrative work, and it's the drawings that allow me to to like make contact with them without having to tell a story. The Robica novels, probably everything I've written, it's, in some way revolves around the idea of like a, a dislocation or a kind of confusion or uh, conflicting modes of perception, et cetera. And I, I do feel like when I talk about this, I feel like it's so natural because it describes the way being a person is for me. There, there are these slippages and gaps and fractures that we're always thinking about, the way the memory doesn't uh, hold up the way it's supposed to, or, or that sort of like self-awareness you might have while you're in the middle of of telling some story of something that's happened to you or something that you're thinking. And just like the awareness that when I talk, I'm supposed to make a shape that is legible and that I can hand to you and that you, you know, you can interpret and, and whatever. And you know, what happens if that's just, if the, it just doesn't work that way, what happens uh, if midway you've like, forget, where you are or who you are, how the two connect, et cetera. So I've always been really interested in trying to write from that place, a place of of not not knowing, uh, non-knowing of discovery, because that's just really exciting for me. It's where I I feel the the convergences of all the things of like time, memory, experience, the body, desire, um, all sort of meeting at the at these places where uh, where we don't know. So I think that I think I've been writing about that for a long time, and, and I've always wanted to think about the language that I'm using to think through those things as I'm doing them. So calamities, for for example, being these kind of like narratives about uh, writing about not writing or writing about drawing. So I've always sort of been interested writing about a failing, failing to finish, or failing to write. And I think the drawings just open up this incredible way of being in those spaces without being beholden to like the sense making that we do when we are when we you know build paragraphs, etc.
0: Um, if it's if it's not too corny, can I ask like? In your practical day-to-day process of writing, um, because it sounds like you want to get pretty far out, like um, how you get in that space, like is your writing process just sitting down or does it require more work to kind of get a little further out? You know, if it, if you're trying to write from all these places of not knowing, like it seems hard to, to just sit down and do that.
2: I, I mean, I feel that I I exist in a in a state of of not knowing, and I have for a long time, and I think it's just being okay with being a lot of different things that don't necessarily cohere uh, at once, and and also um, being drawn to absurdity. Uh, being drawn to uh, philosophies of experience, et cetera. So I'm, I feel like I'm always sort of off, and uh, I come at not just writing, but 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 everything with the sort of curiosity and a sense of like trying to find the the, the strange or the bewilderment within within moments. Um, I sort of feel safe once I. See those things, you know, and I when I know like, okay, this is not like a totally, uh, you know, clean, absolutely uh, intelligible space. I I like when I can find the cracks because I think that's that's how I, I get in in the first place, you know. Um, so I, I I think that it's um, it's funny too because I was trying to in preparation for the interview. I was trying to find my early journal so because I'm trying to remember when did I decide to put language to these drawings. When did I decide to write descriptions of future sentences? Because I know that for a long time I didn't want to put language there, and and um, and when I read my journals, there's just always they're always built on this inability to find the original moment, like the original moment is always somehow lost. And so even these journals that I found, they're just sort of like, they begin in the middle of, of thinking of something or they are already questioning when so like I can't find the original. I mean maybe I will if I if I spend a little bit more time searching, but I I can't find the original. So I just feel like that's my thing. Like I'm always sort of existing in a in a kind of calamity of of time and and chronology order.
1: So Renee, I think it's like what really strikes me is that I think it's like a very you know you say that you you look for the cracks and you feel most comfortable in those kind of cracked spaces. And and I wonder how you got there, because, because I think that is actually like a very difficult place to inhabit. I think a lot of people would actually maybe feel uncomfortable in that space. And I wonder if that is like a practice that you have sort of worked on, or if it's if if you kind of naturally sort of at home in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm.
2: I think when you when when I hear you say that, my immediate question is, what is it that people do? to uh, remove themselves from those predicaments. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that that work is something that I either have always been unwilling to do or just don't have the instinct for. Um, I think that it's very easy in an individual to sort of just like close your eyes or go inside and immediately see the, just the complexity of, of everything and the gaps and, and, and the, the architectures. And, and so I think that, that people sometimes feel, um, you're, you're supposed to take that and then like dress it up, like the way people like they dress up to go outside and, and I don't dress up to go outside. We're the same thing every day. So maybe it's just like in my nature that, um, that I, you know, I don't dress it up, but, but I think that I just have always been curious about my own confusion and have had enough experience of, so I was a philosophy major as an undergrad and mm-hmm. then uh, which was really hard for me. Cause I, I went in just being like, I want to think, but i didn't realize that philosophy was this whole thing where you you weren't really thinking you were studying other people's thinking like indoctrinated thinking and that that was what you needed to master and figure out like how to regurgitate and that was just remotely like in no way interesting to me at all there were a few things that were interesting and then from philosophy um my last year in college, I took a class called Open to Experiment, where we were looking at experimental poets like Rosemary Waldrop, uh, Mamie Bersenbruga, Gertrude Stein, and Tazaki Shange, Beverly Dahlin. And it just blew my mind because I was like, this is what I was thinking about. It's like a way in which you can shape language. But you can also think deeply at the same time. You can think about your your cracks or your um you know your day or whatever. And so that real that really sort of changed my my relationship to thought and to into writing, and it sort of grew from there. But I but I think that initial impulse was uh that's that's thinking, I think, like that awareness of of things not quite connecting or not quite cohering is thought to me. Um, and and maybe the other thing is is knowing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I don't I feel like I, I feel less impressed by knowing than I do by thinking.
0: It's like I guess my question is again, I want to ask about process. And then maybe it really is just. Hard to describe how the work gets done. but um does it need experience? Like I'm picturing you walking around out in the world, looking at things, feeling a certain way. like do you do you feed into it by experience or is it something where you can sit down, have have a book? maybe that in- inspires you that you want to vibe off, and then that's how you start a project? or is there is there a ton of work? in the in-between that's just like, you know, checking in with what you want to work on in a given day and it doesn't like amount to anything. Just as someone, of course, who's, who's like, oh, I wish I could get to that state or curious about how, how one even does arrive at that place. Um, I'd love to know what your actual writing process is like.
2: Yeah. I really do think that people have so many different ways of writing and approaching writing and I admire I admire all of them and um, for me and I love that we're also different and that we need different things in order to to write um, and it's funny now because I um, many decades into living it's hard to to pull apart influence and like when are you are the things that I'm writing a result of things I've gathered recently or are they a result of you know Twenty years of doing a certain thing, uh, or twenty years of not doing a certain thing, and and so um, I I do find that mysterious, especially as I get older and I start to see things that I no longer remember, and the really crazy things that I still remember, and forgetting things like when I you know I still talk about Event Factory, which I wrote almost twenty years ago, the first book in the Robica series, and trying to hold on to the things that I was thinking about that allowed me to write that book, which was the first novel. I mean, I had been sort of for, um, you know, the, I guess, eight years prior to that, I had been trying to write a novel, like everything I wrote was an attempt to write a novel and I couldn't figure out how to amass the number of pages. And then uh, something happened that allowed it allowed that book to, to come into being. And it, and it's, it's more than Samuel Delaney's Dahlgren, which uh, I think I um, reference um, in the acknowledgements or, and then I think I use Beckett as the epigraph. It's like, it's more than those two things, but it's just, it's, it gets harder and harder to sort of be able to line things up and say, you know, this, this, is, same with the plans for sentences, like trying to remember what, what happened that made me think these drawings should have, you know, counterparts to them in, in writing? So all of that is to say I A, don't remember and B, um, I feel like writing comes really natural. It's like the natural step to everything else that I was doing. So at, I, don't, um, I don't always write every day Sometimes I'm drawing or sometimes I'm reading or, um, but I, I feel like the moment where I sit down to write feels like the natural next step from what I had been doing. And, and what comes out feels like a sort of settling or a beginning of, of that, that stuff sort of like materializing or, or uh, becoming a kind of, I don't know, like it's almost like a chemistry event. Um, and yeah, and it feels, I know that other people do like lots of research and, and they sort of like build their first sentences and they build their interest entrances. And to me, it's much more of like a, a, a just sort of like a moving into a new space and, and the writing comes from where I had been.
1: Renee Gladman, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: That was Renee Gladman. Her latest book is Plans for Sentences. Thanks for listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts to help us get the word out. And we'd love to hear from you. The producers of the LARB Radio Hour are Medea Ocher, Kate Wolf, and Eric Newman. Our executive producer is Alan Minsky. Our sound engineer is William Broden. Editorial production by Jake Levins. Our intro music was written and performed by Imogene teasley Blood.